Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. It's been 34 years since the loss of Piper Alpha. Piper Alpha was an oil platform located in the North Sea, approximately 190 kilometres northeast of Aberdeen in Scotland. On the 6th of July 1988, a series of explosions and fires ripped through Piper Alpha, causing the loss of the first oil rig due to fire. 167 people died on that night with only 61 surviving. Our guest is one of the 61, one of the 61 who survived. Welcome to Health and Safety Conversations. Here's your host, Tom Bourne. Hi, and welcome to Health and Safety Conversations. I'm your host, Tom Bourne, and with me today is Joe Meenan. Joe Meenan is one of the 61 survivors from Piper Alpha, the first oil platform lost in an explosion, also the biggest and also the biggest loss of life in a oil rig disaster. Joe, how are you? Good, thank you, Tom. Ah, oh, Joe, tell you what, I've been wanting to get someone from Piper Alpha on, but as you can imagine, numbers are dwindling as time goes past so thank you so much for coming on let's just have a quick chat it's been 34 years joe does it seem that long uh, yeah sometimes it does sometimes it doesn't you know and as you say tom you know there's actually a lot less of us now from the 61 than there was obviously 34, 35 years ago now. This year will be the 35th anniversary. And as you can imagine, a lot of guys would have been in their 40s, 50s, almost 60s back in that day, you know. So, you know, 34 years ago, it's just unfortunate. Time catches up with everyone. Yeah, just to put some perspective around the disaster, because... Some people will call it an accident, incident. It's a disaster, let's be honest about it. We talk about 61 people surviving. With The number that isn't actually spoken about is the 167 who actually perished. 
And that's huge by anyone's imagination. I would suggest there's not too many industrial accidents in the last hundred years that uh, would match that for the death toll. Yeah, absolutely. Not so much maybe in developed countries, maybe in the undeveloped countries, third world countries, there's been, you know, a number of, yeah, more uh, people involved, you know, as they're maybe a bit more labour intensive and stuff like that you know but yeah yeah and absolutely it was a huge uh, a huge landmark in the oil industry back in back in that day yeah yeah so 6th of july 1988 is it still fresh in your mind oh yeah absolutely i can remember yeah as if it was yesterday as most people would with major incidents that have happened in our lives and yeah yeah absolutely you know it's, it's it'll be with me till the day I pass away I, as you know Tom I do some talks regarding paper and presentations such like so yeah I, I've you know I've always kept in the forefront of my mind yeah yeah what was it? What sort of job did you do on Piper? And and had you actually been there long before the incident actually happened, Joe? I worked offshore as a scaffolder, Tom, okay. and I first went offshore in 1982 and worked on a number of different platforms in the North Sea, and ended up in Piper on March of 1988. That was my first trip on Piper Alpha. For those who don't know what being work, being and working and living on an oil rig, what is it? Yeah, a bit of really scary the first few times you go out, you know, and it's a whole new world, absolutely a whole new world for me. I had a kind of first heavy industry job I was working on was the construction of the oil terminal. They were building an oil terminal at Solombo in the Shetland Islands, Tom, so... I was up there for four years or so, and that's where I really got involved in scaffolding, to, you know, and that was going to be my trade for almost the rest of my life, you know. So, yeah, but it, when I went offshore, well, it was totally different. Even, you know, just travelling there on the helicopters, it's, yeah, pretty scary your first few times. Did they make you do the training about escaping from a helicopter before they took you over there? Yeah, they did actually. Yeah, I'd done my survival course before I went offshore. Yeah, so there was some firefighting involved in that, some theoretical work, and then you done your your helicopter ditching and the pool exercise, you know, to to uh, inflate life rafts and climb into them. You know, it was quite realistic, but I actually really quite enjoyed it. Also, jumping, you had to jump from a three-meter board with a life jacket on, and that was, yeah, that was all came, came a bit relevant later on because yeah. you, were, you were told, yeah, you were told that on the course, you know, kind of if you jump more than or from above 30 feet with a life jacket on, if you didn't kill yourself, you could severely injure yourself by, you know, just by the force of the water hitting the life jacket. So, uh, yeah, it was all really, all really interesting, actually. Now, Piper Alpha in the North Sea, off the coast of Scotland, bit of the pride and joy of British industry at that time. The most product productive rig, oil rig, 
at the time in the world, producing, a, they say, 320,000 barrels of oil a day. It was also joined through pipelines to Claymore and Tartan rigs. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. They were all joined. There was an MCPO one as well, Tom. Okay. And the paper, it was actually the paper oil field, but and Piper Alpha was the, the, the main platform within that other, within the four platforms. And they all had gas and oil pipelines running back to Piper. And then the main oil and gas pipeline ran back to the Flota oil terminal, that which was on the Orkney Isles, and that was also owned by Occidental. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah the Piper Alpha was the, the heart of the, the oil field. So from, so, the, from the other from, rigs, did were they pumping gas to Piper, or what was what was going on there? Yeah, both, both gas, both natural gas, condensate gas, and oil as well. Okay, oh, excellent. Yeah. And Piper Alpha originally was only built to manage the drilling and processing of crude oil. Is that right? That's correct, yeah. And in the 80s, the government at the time brought in legislation to, to you know, force oil companies to produce, you know, the and export the 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 natural gas back to onshore because it was just really getting burnt off and you know and it was an awful waste of energy so legislation was brought in to you know to do that although yeah. piper was never designed and as you say in the first place for that so there had to be a lot of modifications done to the platform to facilitate the gas production now on the nights that it's Piper Alpha disaster actually happened, were you working or were you or had you finished your shift for that day? What what actually happened on that day, Tom? We were working two weeks on, two weeks off, you know. So I was actually coming, and me and some of my other colleagues were coming to the end of our two weeks. The sixth of July was a Wednesday. We had one more shift to do on a Thursday and we'd be flying home on a Friday morning. So on the on the day of the 6th of July, we had been working a 15-hour shift and we were in four-man cabins. The other three guys in the cabin were also scaffolders. So during the day and even the night before, we knew that the movie Caddyshack was getting shown in the cinema that night. Yep. So we decided we'd you know, go up there and watch that, which started kind of just after nine o'clock. So they knew, they knew there was a lot of people working overtime till nine o'clock. So yeah, we went up, headed up to the, well, actually went back to the cabin, got a quick shower and changed into, you know, more comfortable clothing and headed to the cinema to watch Caddyshack. And whilst you were watching the movie, when, when was it that you first got any sort of insight that there was an issue or a problem occurring? Yeah, well, it, it was, we were sitting in the cinema and the cinema was, it was a fairly large cinema which held about 40 or so personnel. And it was really quite busy that night because, you know, it was you know, a good movie and 
light. It's a comedy, so a bit of light entertainment for us. So about 40 minutes or so, 45 minutes, you could hear some like extreme flaring noises. You know, the, 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 there was a gas flare off. Yep. And yeah, it was really extreme. And there was actually a silence fell over the cinema. And there was a number of Occidental personnel in there as well. And there was, you know, people really curious looking, looks at each other, you know, worried looks. Yep. Then that subsided. And then, you know, the noise and the, the atmosphere got going again in the cinema. But then within a minute or so, it, it, it restarted even more extreme. You could actually feel the power. It, it's like sitting in a jet engine, Tom, you know, when it's sitting on a runway, you know, yep ready revving up to take off but really really extreme you know you could feel it coming through the seat through the floor and then all of a sudden there was a huge explosion which resulted in that that one of the slides i showed yeah sent to you uh yeah absolutely knocked the platform back and forward side to side people were thrown off their seats part of the roof of the cinema fell in lighting fell in and then it went into pitch black goodness you know it just all the power went off but within maybe 30 seconds maybe 15 20 seconds the emergency lighting came on and there was an initial panic in the cinema to start with but then everybody got the rest of the guys to calm down like you know and yeah we kind of got ourselves organized a wee bit you know yeah, yeah. When you say panic, what was it? People just desperate to try and make their way out? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, just a shock. Yeah, people heading to the exit, you know, which took you back into the accommodation. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And screams, you know, and people panicking, obviously, you know. But yeah, everybody managed to get calmed down within a, a minute or so. Yeah, on on oil rigs, I'm I'm assuming you practice your uh, evacuation drills quite regularly. Is that the case? Yeah, that was the case. Yeah, every every Sunday we had our, our lifeboat drill. So it was just, you went to your muster station and our muster station was actually at our lifeboat. Mm-hmm. On that slides, or photos I sent you, Tom, all the, all the lifeboats were stationed at the north end of the platform. And that was my kind of first thought when I was leaving the cinema to try and get to my muster station. Yep, yep. Was it, was, after that initial explosion, was it the immediate thought of everybody to prepare to evacuate or to evacuate? Or was it just to, okay, there's a bit of a problem. Well, we'll just go back to our rooms. No, you knew it was more serious than that, Tom. But, the problem was, without us knowing at the time, the first explosion totally destroyed the control room. Mm. Therefore, there was no alarms. There was no tannoys went out to instruct people what to do. So when you've got no information, it's, it's, it's everybody's, you know, some people are, it's, it's kind of funny thing to explain but if you've not got any directions nobody telling you what to do there's just confusion and that's what it was just total confusion some people reacted better than others some people 
not panic, but just just didn't know what to do. Just you know, and like I say, my first thought was to try and get to my lifeboat to the muster station. But as I went over to the west side of the platform, there's guys coming back saying, "No chance, you can't get to the lifeboats that way. There's smoke and flames are too bad over the east side of the platform." And same that out that direction as well. It was just yeah, total confusion. Yeah, yeah. Did you have a like a second process in place in case the lifeboats you couldn't make it to them? Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, when I, on when you've done your survival course, Tom, you're always told that that would probably be your last method of evacuation, lifeboat, and your first method of evacuation would be by helicopter. So after maybe five, six, seven minutes, just seemed to myself seemed to make my way up to the the galley area, which was immediately below the heli deck, and kind of, and it was supposed to be also it was supposed to be a secure area with a, a positive airflow and also you know fireproof to a certain extent, and you know it was a safe area for about forty minutes or so. Uh, so I just made my way up there. I got separated from my colleagues, my workmates that I'd been with in the cinema and such like. So. I made my way up there and got up to the galley area. What did you find in the galley area? Well, it was quite... I got up and I would say this is maybe about 10 past 10 now, something like that, about eight minutes, nine minutes after the first explosion. And I got up there, the emergency lighting was still on and there was a reception area just outside the gal- the, the entrance to the galley. And that's where you check in when you come, you know, when you arrived on the platform, you'd go and get checked in and find out what, where your accommodation was and such like. And there was double doors to go into the galley and I opened one door and there was maybe about 100 men in there. Either they were lying on the floor or sitting on the floor with their backs to the wall. And it was absolutely... It was it was just almost silence in there. And just at that point, a guy came in behind me and he shouted out, is there anybody here from Bodens? And Bodens was the drilling contractor on platform, you know, the, the guys that done the drilling for the oil. Yep. And they recognised his voice and shouted, we're over here, Mark. So he, I thought, oh, at that point, let's say I got separated through the, the guy, the, my colleagues I was with. And uh, I shouted out, is there any scaffolders here? And same again, workmates recognised my voice and shouted. And they were actually round, right round the back of the galley in a little store area, which was a dry store area adjacent to the kitchen area of the galley. So I progressed to walk round that way and I was stepping over people lying on the floor. They were lying on the floor with her maybe leaning on their elbows and such like Tom, you know, but keeping as low as possible. Yep. There was smoke in the galley at that time, but it wasn't excessive, you know, it wasn't too bad. But as I was going round that way, the OIM, which is the offshore installation manager, yep. he was there and the safety officer was there. Mm-hmm. And as I was going 
passing them, somebody shouted to Colin, he was the OIM, Colin, tell us what's happening, what are we going to do? But as I passed and looked back at him, he he's he's gone. He his face was gone, Tom. He he yeah. just couldn't uh, appreciate what was going on. He just you know, yeah. for lack of a better word, he just froze. You know, yeah. and the safety officer shouted out, "Guys, there's been a mayday sent out. There should be helicopters here within the next half an hour, forty minutes, to come and rescue us. Just hang fire." And yeah. So as I progress around through some other plastic doors to this little dry store area, and the guys I was with earlier on were all sitting there at the same lying on the floor or sitting on the floor, but these they all had wet dish towels over their face, their nose and mouth. And they said, Joe, get a dish towel up there. There's dish towels beside the sinks. And these were big industrial sinks, Tom, you know, for the the caterers to clean our dishes and such like. Yep. And I just thought, I grabbed a dry dish towel just without thinking, turned on the tap. Of course, there's no water coming out the tap. Yep. And it's really starting to sink into me now. Well, there's no water, there's no power, there's not going to be any any facilities to fight the fire with. Yep. You know, we're really in a bad way now, like, you know, so... There was water still in the bottom of the sink, so I soaked the, the dish towel in there. I back down and sat with the other guys, and there was about 20 years in that area. And I sat down with them guys, and I says, and we says, well, do you know what's happening? Was anybody got any information? They said there had been some to the firefighting team that had come up, they had breathing apparatus on to the back door of the galley area there because there was a little landing area out the back of that door for the caterers to get supplies. And uh, they said they were going to come back and let us know what was happening. But after two or three minutes, no, it wasn't happening. We were sitting there. You could hear other small explosions happening on the platform. You could actually hear like yawning noises, grinding noises. I say this is about 12, 13 minutes or so after the first explosion. Believe that the, the structure of the platform has been compromised already. You know, it's starting to bend and give way. You know, it's starting to just fall in on itself. Therefore, there was windows breaking and such like, and then the emergency emergency lighting also went off. So we were just sitting there. What was what? Why why you were in the galley? What what was the overall mood of people? Were they were they optimistic that they was rescue was coming, or were people just in sheer dread of what was going to happen? Yeah, I, I think yeah, just just I think they were just. Didn't know what was going to happen. You know, they were just waiting for something yeah. to happen. Yeah. So, no, but there was nothing happening, Tom. You know what I mean? It, 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 yeah. It, it, and like I say, you know, nobody getting any direction apart from the direction of being told to stay and, you know, there'd be helicopters arriving. You know? Okay. Yeah. When did, when did so, you make, when did you make the decision not to stay there? Well, that's what we, we we were sitting there, a crowd of us there, 
And I says, right, guys, says, well, look, if we're sitting here and anything else happens, we're not going to be in any position to be able to do anything for ourselves. Why don't we go up onto the heli deck and we'll maybe get a better idea of what's happening and see if we can do anything for ourselves. Like I say, if we stay in here and anything else happens, we're trapped almost. So, yeah, a wee bit of discussion between the, the guys and then we says, right, well, yeah, let's go. Let's go up there and see what's happening. And as we were leaving, I was last to leave. And there was six guys who were working for a communication company that we had done work for, you know, getting them access to wherever they had to work, you know, putting platforms and towers up for them and such like. And as we were leaving, I asked the guys, I said, are you guys coming with us? And they looked at each other and they said, no, we're just, we're going to stay because we've been told to stay. Mm -hmm. And I just says, well, good luck to you guys. So when we got outside and climbed up onto the I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Heli deck, that was, uh, that's when we, it, it really came evident how serious the situation was, you know, and you could see straight away that we, there was absolutely no chance of any helicopters landing on the platform because the smoke was so bad. You know, the, the the first explosion had fractured crude oil pipes and ignited, which caused really, really thick, black, acrid smoke to, you know, come right over the platform and go off the platform. So there was no chance any helicopter landing on yeah. paper. When it became apparent to you that helicopters, there was no chance of them coming, how bad were you feeling at that stage? How desperate were you? Yeah, well, uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I don't know if it was desperate, but it was just confusion and and un, nobody knew what to do next. So, next to the heli deck was the heli deck landing office, which was also the radio office. And that was the highest point we could get to in the platform at that in that area. So we all climbed up there on top of that. And when we were up there, you could see the smoke and it was coming across in layers. But there was at certain times there was a gap in the smoke. So you could all we could all stand up and catch some breaths of fresh air and then back down. But also when we were up on top of that, the roof of the, the heli deck landing office. There was a, a water cannon that was on top of one of the crane 
jibs from the Tharos, which was a support vessel alongside, and that was fanning back and forward, Tom, and that was actually catching us on top of there. And up until that point, that was the only water cannon that had been trained on Piper. Yep. Uh, it was a catching us, and I and soaking our clothes and our hair and everything. And I actually believe that helped us out quite a bit later on. But when we were up there and a few of the guys were talking and some were a bit more panicky than others and some people were saying some prayers and stuff like that as well. And then somebody suggested, why don't we go over to the west side of the platform and see if the Tharos could possibly move a bit closer. I think somebody suggested maybe they could lay the crane jib down onto the emergency heli deck. We yeah. could climb onto that and climb down onto I mean, it was just, it was quite ridiculous, actually, because it, was, it would have been pretty much impossible. But anyway, we just got over to the west side of the platform, say it was roughly 12 or 14 of us. And then the huge explosion, the riser from the tartan platform, gas riser fractured and just engulfed the whole platform. Didn't actually know what had happened then. We just, uh, you just knew something horrendous had happened. Everybody just jumped back the way, like a rugby scum, everybody on top of each other. And then by the time I got up, everybody just seemed to scatter in all different directions. Yeah, it was just everybody had gone. It was really, yeah, just every every man for himself then, really. Yeah, yeah. It was at that stage when the um, pipe ruptured that the, the experts suggest that it was the point of no return for Piper, as literally the core of Piper and the metal around it started to melt under the extreme heat. Mm. So the brig's on fire. You're there by yourself. What did you do then? Well, I actually run across this emergency heli deck and I knew what I was doing, but it was a strange thing I'd done. And I, I, I climbed onto this radio mast and the internal stair ladder and the radio mast and I was climbing up the way and I was actually going nowhere but as I was going up the heat was getting more intense and then I realised and it, it just at that point I just thought well that's it I'm dead here but at that point also Tom something just came over me and took over what I was doing I don't know whether it was a will to survive a clarity of thought a higher being looking after me or not, but I just come down, right down this ladder, which took me onto the level below the helitech, run along to the access steps that we, you know, you'd use to either, if you're leaving the platform or arriving on the platform, take you onto the helideck, run across to the north side of the platform, had a look over, the huge explosion had cleared all the smoke away, you know, the, thick oil smoke and could see the water. I had a life jacket on at that point, took the life jacket off, threw it in in front of me, took a few steps back and I knew exactly what I was doing, but it wasn't as if it was, it was a, like an outer body experience. It was as if somebody else was doing it. And I took a run, there's safety netting around the heli deck 
and it's got supports for the safety netting. I knew I had to try and get myself away as far as good from the platform. Took a run, used this the, the supports to propel myself off as far as I could. And it was only at that point as if I'd came back to myself, actually. And excuse me here, Tom, but the first thought came into my head was, what the fuck have I done? So at that point, not another thought came into my head till I hit the water, which was roughly took about six seconds to cover that distance. And then bang, I hit the water. I don't know how far I went down. I know it was quite a bit. Oh, you're a bit disorientated and such like, but when I, I look, kind of looked at, I looked up and I could see the light from the fire above, so that gave me a reference to get back to the surface. Got back to the surface, a lot of debris in the water, but floating next to me in the water was a life jacket, and I can only imagine it was the life jacket I'd thrown in yeah. in front of me. Yeah. So yeah. I actually put my arm through the life jacket, it was actually in the north side of the platform, and that's, let's say, where all the lifeboats were stationed. And during that explosion, one of the lifeboats, at least one of the lifeboats had been blown off in the explosion, but part of the roof of one of them was floating in the water next to me, and I managed to wedge my arm into that. I started propelling myself away from the platform, but... It being the 6th of July, Tom, it was a beautiful summer's night, as you often got in the North Sea. And the sea was actually running from south to north that night, with a, like a half a metre swell. So that was, in my favour, taking me away from the platform also. So I got yeah. so far away, and I could see the, the rest of one of these lifeboats floating in the water. I disregarded the stuff I had, swam over to the, the lifeboat, managed to pull myself up in yeah and that's when I kind of just sat on the the rim on the edge of the, the lifeboat and I was looking back at the platform trying to take in what I was witnessing and I just thought oh, I'm the only person that's survived this you know at that point that's what yep. I was thinking yep and then I was sitting there and I looked down at my arms because I only had a short sleeve t-shirt on and I had these huge blisters on my arms and I couldn't really figure out how that had happened. But everything was happening so fast as well, Tom, you know, and just at that point, it was a fast rescue craft, you know, inflatable fast, fast, fast rescue craft. But it's launched from one of the standby boats and that came to, it was heading to the lifeboat anyway. And they managed to pick me up, ask me if there was anybody else in the lifeboat, I said no, and they lay me down the side of the life, the fast rescue craft, and basically knew I was safe by then. So that's when my injuries, my no, my adre adrenaline had subsided, and my injuries started taking effect on me. And I was kind of out, in and out of consciousness there for a, I don't know, half an hour, forty minutes or so. Yeah. Now you were taken to the Theros, which had had hospital facilities on board when you got there did you become aware that there were other survivors as well i did i i remember them let's say i was in and out of consciousness i remember them taking me back to 
their right boat and they put me into a stretcher, got me onto the winched me onto standby boat. And I remember getting winched by one of the cranes onto the Tharos. And uh, then I got into the medical facilities in there. I think the doctors, some of the doctors had arrived out from Aberdeen by that time. And I think, I, well, I was going into shock at that point. And I remember, yeah, other people being in the hospital facilities. It was only like eight beds or something in this, you know, it was quite small, obviously. But yeah, it was only about eight beds or so. But I remember them just saying, oh, I've had my shot of morphine. And I remember getting it in kind of, and I left cheek in my bum and I could just feel it spreading across my body, you know, and then, yeah, yeah, it was strong stuff because I was, I was okay after that for a while. They get you back to Scotland eventually. You go into hospital. How long were you in hospital for afterwards? I was in hospital for just over six weeks. In the first four days, Myself and Roy Carey, actually meet myself, there was a guy, Roy Carey, and myself and Roy were more of the, or two of the more badly burnt survivors, and we were in a separate war just on, on our own, myself and Roy. Uh, yeah, we, I was, I had a nurse stationed by my bedside for the first 72 hours, I, but overnight, you know, yeah. There was actually one other survivor, Tom, on that night by called Eric. He was a French lad, but he died on a Saturday afterwards from his injuries. He he was obviously the most badly burnt survivor. Unfortunately, he passed away on a Saturday after. Yeah, but yes, six weeks or so for four major operations for skin grafts and yeah, another three after I'd left hospital also. But I, I was quite fortunate. I didn't stay too far or, or to get back and forth to the hospital in Aberdeen, Aberdeen Royal Infirmary, which was only take me half an hour from my hometown. So I was in and out, still going in and out after I'd been released from, you know, hospital. 167 deaths. How did that affect the community? I'm gathering it might have been a fairly close-knit community of people that basically went and worked on the, the oil rigs together. Yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely, Tom. I would say more of a community on the platform mm. because there's a lot of guys from north of England, some from south England. I think there was there was 19 of the dive diving divers on paper because they they'd done a whole summer summer's work on paper and there was 19 divers i i don't know how many divers actual divers it was but you know the whole working company you know the guys that you know look after the divers when they're in the water and such like and some of them were for ireland also you know so it was quite quite spread out but i would say probably maybe 40 percent of the personnel that were on paper would have been maybe live within 25 miles or 30 kilometers, 40 kilometers of Aberdeen. Yeah. But there was a lot of guys that lived further afield also. Yeah. All right. How did it affect you emotionally 
after your physical injury started to heal? Obviously, it was pretty tough. We all had to go and give evidence at the public inquiry, mm. Lord Collins Public Inquiry, and we also had to give evidence and get a lot of medical assessments done for our own personal injury claims and such like, you know, which was fairly traumatic. The, the own, my own personal stuff was more traumatic or more, it was more invasive than, you know, the public inquiry. The public inquiry was quite straightforward. My own personal stuff was, you know, psychological reports, psychiatrists, as well as physical reports done and such like, you know, so I'd say that was a bit more invasive. But yeah, absolutely shock of being involved in that. I I would say, Tom, I was very fortunate that I wasn't too severely affected by post-traumatic stress disorder. I was, uh, I don't know why that was, just in my makeup or whatever, you know, but I was, I was one of, one of the more fortunate people that didn't suffer too badly with, you know, depression or, you know, survivor's guilt. It was also known as, as, mm. as well, you know. Yeah. Because yeah. it was also two suicides within five years, Tom, of uh, Piper and that, but what they labelled that was survivor's guilt. Did you ever end up going back on any oil rigs? No, no. I've been on a helicopter once since then. Uh, no, no, I never went back. I know three, four guys that, that, that did go back, yeah. And, yeah, fair play to them, you know, if that's how they they had to handle it. Had enough? Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure, yeah, yeah. I was quite fortunate. And I, I actually, once I kind of recovered to a decent, you know, level, I, I, I've got family in Australia, as I mentioned to you. And yeah, I had a visit out to them. I had also family in Southern Africa and Zimbabwe and had a visit to them as also, you know. So yeah. And but without realizing that it, it was actually done our power of good getting away from Aberdeen over at like 1990, 91 or so. It was 92, it was around about that, you know, that, those years. And yeah, yeah, it just it was really quite beneficial for myself to get away from all that yeah yeah all right the cullen report once it was completed came up with multiple causes there was the permit system there was the flange only being put on the safety valve only finger tight there was the fireproof walls that weren't blast proof. There was the rubber matting put on where the divers went. There was a deluge system that had been switched to manual. That's why no water came on. For you, who was actually there on the rig, what do you reckon the main or a couple of the main reasons were? I've said this a number of times when I've been asked that question, Tom, and uh, I've only got one word for it, it was greed. Mm. and expand on that a little bit it was just greed from Occidental oil companies there's a thing that you can find on YouTube remember on Piper and it lasts for 20 minutes it's an animated catalogue of what happened and at the end of it it's got a, a a little segment about 15 seconds or so from Lord Collins summing up and he goes on about how Occidental had reports 
internal reports done in 1986, 87, and even in March of 88, making them fully aware of all the problems regarding what could happen on paper. Mm. And that's exactly what happens. And actually, at the end of Lord Collins summing up, he actually says that all these reports that were given to Occidental could, uh, that's exactly what happened on the platform on that night. So they knew everything that was happening. Also, I believe over the 12 years or so that Piper was producing oil, as you said, Tom, it was one of the most productive platforms or the most productive platform in the North Sea maybe worldwide at that time, it received revenue of over 20 billion over that 12 years Occidental. Yeah. yeah. And also the British government at the time had to take a fair bit of responsibility because they were taking a lot of revenue from the, the tax revenue that they were receiving from all the oil that was produced, not only on paper, but on, on the other platforms. Yeah. I, I just want to ask you one more thing about that. The fact that Tartan and Claymore kept the connection up when they knew there was a fire on Piper Alpha, would you say that's a, a cultural thing that they were just too scared to, to stop pumping condensate and gas to Piper Alpha? Yeah. Well, similarly, Claymore, which was... Like a twin sister platform of Piper, they were just almost the exact same, was in full production till half past 11 that night. But the OIM at the time didn't believe that he had the authority to shut the platform down. He had to wait to get confirmation from his supervisor on shore before he could shut the platform down. Yeah. And There'd be no... Tom, there'd be no scenario of any or any any plans drawn up for an interform fire major incident, you know, over the years. They just kind of, I don't think they, because if you read or have not read the reports, but the reports that Occidental had done for themselves, they knew. You know, it was quite obvious. And these guys are supposed to be top engineers and top managers, and they must have known that these things could have happened, but they just chose to ignore them. Yeah. Did it did it frustrate or anger you that there were no criminal charges laid, no one went to jail over the failing to take action to prevent this type of event happening? Um, so, absolutely, and it, probably more so now, the more you know about it. Like I said, the first few years afterwards, I'd kind of went away and done some travelling and didn't really kind of turn my back on it a bit, you know. But, yeah, with me doing my presentations and such like now and knowing what I now know, yeah, yeah, absolutely, and I'd... I think it would have been the British government at that time or the British jurist lawmakers that decided not to bring any uh, charges against 
the management of Occidental, which, yeah, was really quite frustrating. Allen report made 106 recommendations to improve safety on rigs. Do you think in this day and age that a similar type of event could occur though? I was probably quite convinced no, but you still do have here of, you know, major gas leaks, carbohydrates that are getting re released or accidentally obviously getting released, close calls, such like safety, subsea safety valves have been all installed in all the pipelines and such like now, but I've also heard the incidents that they, some of them are not getting, you know, sh shutting properly, you know, closing properly, you know, they've got defects, faults, you know, because they're not being possibly maintained as well as they should have done. And as, you know, let's say third world countries where there's oil development going on, drilling platforms, West Africa, of China and such like, Far East, yeah. yeah. And then obviously we had the deep water horizon. Yeah, and I couldn't believe something like that could happen in 2010. Just, yeah. yeah. And fortunately enough for them guys on there, most of them got off safely. Yeah, yeah. All right, Joe, we've basically run out of time. I just want to thank you for coming on the show and actually telling your story. I'm sure a lot of people will benefit from hearing it. Um, feel free anytime to reach out to us and you, you've always got a place to stay over in Perth if you, if you ever head down here, mate. But for now, thanks very much, Joe. Yeah, hopefully, Tom, I'll maybe catch you for a beer over on over Perth at some point. That would be great. All right. Take care. Cheers. Take care. Cheers. Take care. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Health and Safety Conversations with Tom Bourne. Until next time, stay safe and enjoy the rest of your week.